In your Bibles, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, if you have a smartphone, you might be able to find it on, on a, a tablet or a smartphone. If you do have a Bible and you're new to the Bible, if you turn to the table of contents, you can find the page number for 1 John. And we are in 1 John chapter 2, picking up from where we left off last week. This little E.T. guy keeps turning toward me. Montreux, what's, what's going on here? It's scaring me a little bit there. There we go. 1 John chapter 2. Starting in verse 7 through 14. Please follow along in your Bible as, as I read in mine. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining already shining. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for, your name, for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil run. I, 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 I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Father, we ask that as we come into 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14 this morning, that you will help us, give us grace, give us strength. I pray that you would light us up on fire this morning as we experience Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. A friend of mine recently adopted a, a baby, and it's, it's not his first adoption, uh, and it's not uh, uh, his first, uh, the children he adopted were not his first children. He had a biological daughter a number of years ago who is now an, an adult. So as I was talking to my friend about adopting this baby, I asked him a question. I kind of knew what his answer would be, but I just wanted to see how he would answer it. And I, the question was, you have, a, you have a biological child and you have a, an adopted child, children, um, is it ever ch a challenge to love your adopted baby as much as you love your biological child? And his answer was a quick and resounding, no, not a challenge. Not a challenge at all. And then he explained himself, and his explanation has stuck with me since I had this conversation. He said, when we got our baby, our adopted baby, and I, I looked at this little one, completely dependent on me. I immediately fell in love. And then he said this. He says, you see, we love those whom we serve. 
And the more someone depends on us, and the more we serve someone, the more we meet those needs, the more we love. And that, for my friend, was how we love. That's why we love. We love those whom we serve. Those who come into your home with nothing and we bring them in, we now love that individual. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced serving someone and then as a result of that act of love, you then love? Let me ask you this question as we begin this morning. Do you love one another? Everybody just take a moment, just so we can get the context, just look to your right and to your left. Do you love each other? Do you love those within this church family? Do we as a church love each other? We're getting into our second test this morning. So we're going through this series on 1 John, and two weeks ago, or two weeks ago, we we talked about how uh, John shows us that Jesus Christ, being the propitiation of our sins, meaning the wrath bearer, Jesus Christ is the safe place for sinners, John says. So if we're in Christ, we are safe. Where are we safe? Church, help me. In Christ. Now, John then has moved toward various tests through which we might know that we are where? In Christ. The first test was last week, and that was the test of obedience. Which means we, 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 we don't get in Christ through obeying, but rather we know we're in Christ through, through, through obeying. Does that make sense? It's not, I obey, therefore I'm in. It's, I'm in, therefore I obey. Now, today is the second test that John gives us, and that is the test of love. Do you love each other? And in the same way, uh, you know, you, you could say, let me back up a little bit, you could say there are some people out there who believe that love will get them to heaven. So I have had a number of conversations with all kinds of people, and I often ask, if you were to stand before God and he were to say, hey, uh, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say? It's, it's a good question to ask people to kind of see where they stand, all right? I don't, God's never going to ask that question. Don't get me wrong. It's just a good way to see where somebody stands with their understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, all right? And I've heard so many people say something to the effect of, well, I'm a loving person. I love. So therefore, God should let me into heaven. I love, therefore, I'm accepted by God. I love, therefore, I am in the safe place of Jesus Christ. No, friends, you're getting it backwards. You see, some people think that you can love your way to heaven. God's going to let me into heaven because I'm a loving person. That's not what John is saying, is it? Other people, they just say, forget heaven. Love gets me friends on earth. And so I love so that I can have a lot of good people around me. Well, that, again, is the wrong motivation to love. Why do we love? We're going to get into that today. But what love tells us, what love tells us, according to the gospel, is that we are a citizen of the kingdom. Meaning, love doesn't get you there. Love testifies to the fact that you are there. 
John, the writer of this letter, wants his readers to be assured of their salvation. He's not trying to cause doubt in Christians' lives. He wants them to know. As a matter of fact, look toward the end of the text here. He, he actually closes this text with a poem, verses 12 through 14. It's written in a poetic style. And some, I, I read a number of uh, books and commentary, commentaries and read a couple theologians on this to try to figure out what, what is he saying here? Who are these little children? Who are these fathers? Uh, who are these young men? Here's what I think John is doing. I think John is looking not at different age categories in the church. I don't believe little children refer to little children. And I don't believe young men refer to young men. You, you see what I'm saying? That's not usually the way the Bible uses these terms. But rather, uh, they're, they're to reference various stages of the Christian life, I believe. So those who are young and immature in their faith. Meaning, little children will be those who just became a Christian. Those of you who, who just came to understand the gospel. He's writing to you. To assure you, right? Uh, the fathers, that would include women. This is a poem, all right? Fathers and mothers. This would reference those who have been with Christ for years and years and years. He's writing to encourage you, young men, those who are kind of right in the thick of their spiritual walk. They've been a Christian for some time, uh, but they haven't really reached that full maturity, if you would, but they're fighting for it. He's writing to them as well. And he's, so what, he, what he's doing is, I think John is saying, he's, he's referencing all of the various kinds of brothers and sisters who are in the church, who make up the body. And he's saying, I'm writing to you so that you might know. This is his purpose for writing. Let me just go through these really quick. He, he starts off, uh, he repeats himself, by the way, so I'm just going to kind of group these together a little bit. He starts off with these little children in verse 12 and then again in verse 13. He's writing to little children so that they might know that they're forgiven for his name's sake. What do new believers need to be assured of? They need to be assured that they are forgiven. Well, we all do, right? But I think in particular, young, immature Christians need to know that your sins are forgiven. Not for your sake, but he says for his sake. You need to know why, young believers, you need to know why your sins are forgiven. For the glory of God. And he goes on and he addresses fathers or mothers, the mature folks in the congregation, verse 13 and 14. He says, I'm writing to you so that you, uh, because you know him, who is from the beginning, meaning you've been walking with Christ for so long and you, you know that God is an ancient God. You know that as you've aged and as you've changed, uh, as, as you've gone through your life, you know that God never changes. He's the changeless one. So he's writing to you as well. He's writing to the young men or young women, those who are sort of in the thick of their spiritual walk and they've overcome some sins and they have a confidence that they're forgiven. They have assurance of their salvation. They've got some biblical knowledge, but they're still waging war against sin in their life. They've got some victories, but there's still a lot of victories that is to come. And what he says is, I write to you, young men, because, he says, you have overcome the evil one. You are victors. You are conquerors. You are strong, he says. What is he doing with this poem? I think what John is doing is he's assuring the congregation that they're in him. This is why I love John. He's so pastoral. 
He's not writing this hard stuff that we're about to get into. He's not writing this to cause doubt in Christians' lives. He's writing this hard stuff to expose the frauds, but that Christians might know. Does that make sense? So as we then get into the text here, and as we explore this concept of love, for those of you that are trusting in Christ, you're in Christ. Jesus Christ is your Savior. You have received him, turned from your sin, trusting in Christ. I want you to know that John is writing to you so that you might be confident, assured that you are in him. And I want us to know that there are frauds. And one of the ways that we might test ourselves to know that we're not a fraud is with this question of love. So can we get into it? Let's talk about love. That sounds like the beginning of a song. How many songs began with those lyrics? Let's talk about love. Montreux, why don't you just get on the bass here? I'll just sing this sermon today. Can we do that? Just give me a little little bass line. Let's talk about love. All right. How might we know that we are in him? Test number two, love. There are two things that I want you to see about love in this text. Number one, love is revealed in the person of Jesus. Love is revealed in the person of Jesus. We see this in verses 7 and 8. I, I heard a story that Chuck Colson once told of uh, uh, this camp in World War II where American prisoners were being held. And these prisoners, there was 20 of them, they would go out and dig all day long, and then at the end of the day, they would come back and they would collect their shovels and they would count the shovels to make sure they had 20 shovels for the 20 prisoners. One day they came back and the guard counted 19 shovels and flipped out, angry, and he said, unless the person who's stolen the shovel, unless you come forward right now, I'm going to kill five of you. And one young man, 19 years old, stepped forward and the guard put the gun to his head and pulled the trigger. And as he lay there dead, the guard walked out after he warned the the 19 who remained. And those 19 soldiers counted the shovels and they counted 20. They realized the guard had miscounted. And then they realized that this young 19-year-old stepped up to save five of his soldiers' brothers' lives. Uh, love is costly, isn't it? There is a real cost to love. And as great of a story as we could tell of of self-sacrificial love, there is no love that is more costly than the love of Jesus Christ that he had for us. And that's what John is referring to here in verse 7 when he talks about this commandment. He never actually says what the commandment is. He says, I'm writing to you a commandment. And it's new and it's old, he says. There's a newness to it, but there's an age to it as well. What is the commandment? Well, his readers would have known exactly what the commandment is that he's referring to. Turn with me to John, if you would, chapter 13. Chapter 13. 
John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. Well, this is the commandment that he's referring to. There's, there's a, a sense of, of age to this commandment, right? This commandment's an old commandment. That's what John is saying. It's a very old commandment. And what John is saying is, is I haven't invented anything. I don't want you to think that, the, that we have come along and invented some kind of self-sacrificial uh, definition of love. This isn't the invention of John. Love isn't the invention of the helpless romantic. Love isn't the invention of Hollywood or any of the songs, right? Love comes from God. Why? Because God is love, the Scriptures declare. And so from the beginning, what's the beginning? I think what John is referring to is is from the beginning of the time when God began to reveal his nature to his people. So we see in Deuteronomy, uh, and in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and in, in Leviticus 19, 18, love is a central theme as God reveals his character to his people. You are to love God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. You are to love your neighbor, he says in Leviticus, as yourself. But there's also a newness to it. Verse 7, he says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the, world, is the word that you have heard. At the same time, you see there, he says, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. In what way, then, is this commandment new? Well, he's not talking about uh, time. You, you could talk about newness in in a sense of chronology. That's not what John is saying. He's not saying there's a commandment that has come later after the first one. But rather, this word new could be a reference to the quality of our understanding of love. There's a new quality that we have come to understand in this commandment to love. There is a newness to it, and and it's in Jesus Christ. He goes on, he, he says, the true light is already shining. And everything else is passing away, which means that the, the new age has dawned. The, the coming kingdom of God is like here, but not yet. The sun has risen, but yet it's not fully uh, noon. We are living now in the age of the kingdom, is what he's saying. And that dawning has come with Jesus Christ himself. In what ways then has Jesus shown us the newness of this commandment? Well, Jesus first, Jesus reveals the height of love, doesn't he? So Jesus takes Deuteronomy 6.8 and Leviticus 19.18. And he merges these two commandments together. And he shows us something that we hadn't seen before. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? It would have been expected for him to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's Leviticus. Or Deuteronomy, I'm sorry. Jesus gives that commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But then he adds, this is what's shocking, he adds Leviticus 16, 18 onto it. And he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. He shows us the height of love. 
That love is just not uh, something that I can do with God. It's not just a love relationship with God, but rather it also involves other people. He shows us the breadth of love. You see, pagan love loves only within one's tribe. This is, you guys remember back to school and school age children, you might resonate with this. Remember how hard school was? Because everybody kind of gets into what we used to call cliques. We could call them tribes if we want. They get into these little cliques and they love within their circle. And then they're, they're so mean to each other outside of that. You know what I'm talking about? And then even within that circle, they develop cliques. Cliques within cliques. We do the same thing as we become adults, don't we? We, just be, we, we get a little better at it. We become a little more refined uh, in, in, our, in our cliquish ways. See, pagan love lo- just loves within our own circle. Loves within our own clique. Loves within our own tribe. So like sport lovers love each other. I love hanging out with sport lovers. Should we even talk about politics? Democrats and Republicans. Need I say more? You know, recent studies have shown that um, political affiliation is a a more uh, determining factor now for marriages than religion. Which means you're more likely to uh, marry someone of your same uh, political affiliation than you are of your same religion. Democrats are really good at loving each other. Republicans are really good at loving each other. And we saw this last season, even within the church, how people can destroy one another if they're not on the same political, in the same political tribe. Racial identities, cultural identities, young people loving each other but, but feeling like, man, I just don't think I can get along with the older crowd, or the older crowd demonizing the younger crowd. You see, in all of this, as is, is we just kind of love people that are like us, the reality is, is we're just looking in the mirror and there's a little bit of self-idolatry in all of that, and we're just loving the image of ourself that we see in others, aren't we? That's why we call it pagan love. Where do you see love across all of the lines that we draw? Where do you see that love? Well, I'll tell you, tell you where we should see it. In Luke 10, as Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He tells them, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then this Jewish religious leader, he says, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells them this parable that Stephanie read for us this morning. He tells us this parable that we call the parable of the good Samaritan. You guys with me? I needed a little more of a robust Samaritan right there. It's pretty weak. Samaritans were the, the, the enemies of uh, the Israelites in many ways. 
And so there's this story that Jesus gives of an Israelite who's beaten badly, and he has three of his brothers just walk by him, doesn't help him. And then finally, a good Samaritan comes along, and he stoops, he condescends, he, he helps the, the badly beaten, dying man and, and uses his own goods, his own money to bring healing back into this man's body. Jesus shows us that as an example of love, doesn't he? What it looks like to love. But he also uses that as an example of uh, getting at this question, who is your neighbor? Meaning your neighbor is not, are, are not just those who look like you. Your neighbor is anybody with a need. Democrats, that means Republicans. Young people. That means older folks. Children, that means adults. We love, in the church, we love across lines. This is what I mean by the fact that Jesus, he shows us the breadth of love. He shows us the width of love. He shows us how wide our love is supposed to be. It blows our minds. And it demands that we rethink everything about the way we've constructed our lives. It demands that we rethink everything about the people that we're trying to love. He also shows us the depth of love. Meaning Jesus is our model and he shows us just how deep our love for each other should go. John Piper was talking about the costly nature of love and how we can we could talk about a story of someone who gave their life in a in a very costly fashion and lift them up and say well how costly was that but no one piper goes on to explain nobody loves in a way costlier than Jesus Christ himself like think of Jesus compared to that 19 year old man Jesus was also young Jesus was the oldest of his mother's children. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was supremely loved by the Father. Jesus, the Scripture says, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. One with the Father for all of eternity past. Yet he humbled himself and became a man. You know, we talk about condescending in a negative way, right? You don't want me to be condescending to you. There is one person that we want to condescend to our level, and that is the God-man Jesus Christ. His condescension is an act of love for us. The, the fact that he loves us is grace. Nothing about us requires his love. He doesn't owe us his love. But we need it. And so he comes to our level. He condescends. And Jesus Christ not only comes to earth as our example, but Jesus lives the life I should have lived, dies on the cross in my place, taking the punishment of, uh, for my sin on, in his own body as he hung on the cross. Rising again. Three days later. 
calling to us, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives us salvation. Greater love knows nobody than that. When a man lays down his life for his friend, but not just any man. This is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life not for his friend, but for his enemies, rebels like myself. Can you think of a higher example of love than the love of Jesus Christ? He shows us the depth that our love is to have. And then going back to John 17, if you want to flip back there really quick, this will blow your mind. Jesus says, just as I have loved, you also are to love. Everybody say, what? Like, come on, give me some reaction here. Jesus says, in the way that I've loved you, you love others. If that doesn't cause a holy what, then you're not hearing the word of God. <laughs> this is massive. We are called to love others in the same way that Jesus Christ loved us. This is what he says here in 1 John chapter 2. In verse 8, he says, this love, this commandment is true in him. In who? In Jesus Christ. Everybody say amen. amen. This commandment is true in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, he says, and in who? And in you. It's true not only in him, but brothers and sisters, it's true in you. That we love because this, this new age is upon us. The dawn of the new era is here. And so then let us begin living in light of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and love like Jesus. So then he moves to this test. This is John's test for us. How do we know that we're kingdom people? How do we know that we're in him? Well, let's, let's take the test. So love is revealed in the person of Jesus, but secondly, Jesus' people are revealed in the way that they love. That's what John is saying. Jesus' people are revealed in the way that they love, in verses 9 through 11. D.L. Moody, he once said, Show me a church where there is love, and I will show you a church that is a power in the community. Moody tells a story of a little boy in Chicago who attended a, a Sunday school class that he knew of. And his family moved across town to another part of Chicago. And it was a long, hard, wearisome walk for the boy to walk from his new home all the way back to the Sunday school, to this church. And one of his friends said, why do you do that every week? And the little boy said, they know how to love a fellow over there. Moody says, show me a church that loves, and I will show you a power in the community. 
Let's look at the text here. First, we see talk is cheap in verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. That's his principle. He's saying talk is cheap. I don't care what you say. You can preach. You can, you can yell. You can shout. You can get on social media and type about your love that you have for the church, for your brothers and sisters. You can talk about meeting needs. You can post pictures, Instagram pictures of ways that you've met a need. Talk is cheap, he's saying. If you, if, if, if you shout love, 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 but you're not actually loving, you're still in the dark. Your talk doesn't get you anywhere. Your talk doesn't show anything. It doesn't reveal anything. We want to we see, are you, are you loving your brother? So talk is cheap. And secondly, the church is the arena in which love is put on display. Because notice he says here, you love your brother. That would be a reference to a fellow Christian. Now, granted, we are to love all people. Amen? We're to love across our uh, uh, religious lines. We are to love our fellow uh, Muslims. We are to love our neighbors that are non-Christians, right? But what we see in the Scriptures, though, is our love is not put on display out there. It's put on display in here. And see, a lot of Christians mess this up. A lot of Christians are more concerned with loving people who are not Christians while they're hating people within their own church. No, you can only love people out there if we're putting it on display and practicing it in here, family. And so, so, so while talk is cheap, we've got to recognize that the, the church is the place where we actually practice our love. The church is the place where we put our love on display so that the world might See it. John then goes on and he gives us two different examples of what this looks like. In verse 10, we see the first example. Loving and right action here are, are uh, linked. You can't separate the two. Look, look at the example. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for, some, for stumbling. Loving leads to right action, and right action leads to loving. You cannot separate loving and right action. If you love, your eyes are open. If you love, you have the light, and you're not going to cause somebody else to stumble. You're not going to cause yourself to stumble but rather you're going to treat others in the way that they ought to be treated. Now, this works a couple different ways. Let me read to you this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, Do not waste your time bothering with whether you love your neighbor, but just act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do good, in turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. Lewis is saying service leads to love. 
He's saying, look, if, in the way that we love each other, this is how we practice it. We've got to act as if we love each other and start serving each other. Start doing good for one another. Start meeting each other's needs. Like, look people in the eyes and get their names and then remember their names because that tells them that you actually heard them, right? Like, the first step of practicing love in the church is getting to know each other. Not just on a surface level, just sort of like, yeah, you're that guy or that girl I see on Sundays, but like, who are you? What are your needs? How can I be there for you? So we, we serve and we love. Now remember what my friend said, those who you serve, you love. When he gets his little baby uh, uh, in, in his hands and he recognizes that this baby is entirely dependent on him and he's serving this young one, he falls in love with this young one. If you don't love people in the church, I have to ask you whether or not you're serving people in the church. But it goes the other way as well. So serving leads to love, but also loving leads to serving. Thomas A. Kempis said, whoever loves does much. When you love someone, you serve them. He goes on to give us another example here in verse 11. So he gave us a positive example, love and right action go together, but then also hate and wrong action go together. Look at verse 11. He says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If you hate, you're in the dark. And what he's saying is, is you can't see rightly. And so you're not going to treat the person rightly because you don't see them rightly. Do you know what prejudice is? Prejudice is prejudging. Why would someone prejudge? It's because they're seeing someone wrongly. Why are they seeing someone wrongly? What John is telling us is because they hate. They have hate in their heart. It's not um, treating someone wrongly that leads to, uh, to hate. But John's flipping and he's saying, no, hating leads to treating someone wrongly. Prejudging them. Harming them despising them, putting them off. Are you loving, church? Are we loving? Let me close with this analogy. In an old boiler, in an old engine room, if you were to walk in and, and look at the boiler in the engine room, you would never be able to know how much water is inside of the boiler. Has any of you ever been in an engine room before? All right, all right, a couple of you. But what you would see is a small glass tube. And, uh, and the tube tells you how much water is in the boiler. So if the tube is full, it tells you that the boiler is full, Right? If the tube is half empty, it tells you the boiler is half empty. And if the tube is empty, it tells you the, the boiler is empty. What is our test tube as it relates to our love for God? 
Because our love for God in and of itself can't be put on display without loving others. See, loving others is our test as to how much we love God. That's what we look at. That's how we can examine our hearts. That's how we can know whether or not we are in Him is based on the answer to that question, how well do you love others? But friends, listen, our love for others is based on God's love for us. You cannot know love unless you know the love of God. I'll tell you what I believe the reason is so many of us struggle to love others is because as it relates to our own relationship with God, we still have a lot of pride in our life. We still see ourselves as one who deserves something. We still see ourselves as one who God just ought to help and ought to give. As opposed to seeing ourselves rightly as one who is a scoundrel. As one who is completely in need. We sing this song, Jesus paid it all. The lyrics go like this. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. Do you believe that? For nothing good have I. Are you coming to God naked, empty-handed, saying, I've got nothing, and if you don't help, I've, I can't. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim, but I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all. Therefore, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he has washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change a leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. What is it that can melt our cold hearts? Is it not the love of God in Jesus Christ? For Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. but He washed it white as snow. Do you know the love of Jesus Christ? If we know the love of Jesus Christ, a love that transcends all of our lines that we have drawn, we will then know what it means to love. But friends, if we didn't have the love of Christ, if Christ never loved us, why would we love? If Christ did not love, then it makes sense to love only those who look like us and think like us and act like us. If Christ didn't love, then it would make sense to take advantage of the weaker. If Christ did not love us, then it would make sense to just try to pursue our own comfort and to try to take care of ourselves. But Christ has loved you in a way that is more costly than any analogy we can ever come up. In John 17, Jesus says this, by this, by what? By love. In the way that you love, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Amen? Father, we ask that as we seek to practice our love within this local church, that you would help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would use us, put us on display 
so that the world might know that Christ is from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.